is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back, folks, to yet another episode of FUVFC, WFUV's only soccer podcast on the airways. I'm Keenan Troy, joined today by Emma Zubko, a familiar face, and maybe a not-so-familiar face joining us today would be Alex Wools. Alex, a devout soccer fan, how are you doing, my man? It's a pleasure. You know, it's fun making these assignments because I typically keep myself out of the soccer world just to let you guys do the talking, but sometimes, I, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, so once they win a game, I insert myself right into the podcast. Not a coincidence, but good to be here. How's everybody doing? Wolves is, I don't want to say back, but you know, after no, you losing, say just say after, <laughs> they're back. They're back. Lost their manager this this uh, this off season, but looking good. Looking good through a couple weeks of Premier League action. And then Emma, of course, welcome back uh, to another episode. You're becoming a more familiar face around here, which we love. Love you becoming part of this core that kind of dictates this podcast. How are you doing on this fine Tuesday afternoon, Emma? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm excited to talk about what's been going going on in the soccer world. No doubt, no doubt. Um, from last week to this week, thankfully, the United States men's national team squeaked out a win in Honduras. Scoreline may tell you otherwise, but I'm going to use that verbiage of squeaked out a win because for one reason or another, it may not have been impressive depending on how much you believe in this team. And also, you know, biggest, biggest news for Manchester United since he left in 2009 is that Cristiano Ronaldo started a game for them again against Newcastle this past weekend, securing two goals and then securing one more goal today in their Champions League game against Young Boys. But to start with the United States men's national team, I was hesitant and very cautionary going into that game against Honduras that occurred last Wednesday, the day after we recorded last week's episode for all of you who are either listening in for the first time or trying to pick up our trail. So we had previewed that match pretty intensely and I was, I was an advocate for Greg Berhalter using his bench because I felt like it was lacking in the match against Canada after the match against El Salvador. So in the third game of that qualifying international break, we see Berhalter go to the bench. And I think that's where the storyline begins for this team. Brendan Aronson, Anthony Robinson, and Sebastian Legette all introduced at halftime and beyond halftime for the United States men's national team. And all of them get on the score sheet. So Emma, I'm going to start with you here. I'm wondering is Burlhalter maybe experiencing now that he's almost realizing the depth of his squad and maybe getting a better understanding for his players' limits in terms of who he can keep out there for a full 90, who he can take for 75, or even those who he can say, okay, these guys are going to be great first-half players, but if they're not producing in the way I which I want them to produce, 
is he willing to make those substitutions tactically, which he did and turned into goals. So Emma just, you know, we are questioning his, his hesitancy to substitute in the Canada game, but here we see him in Honduras really empty the bench. Yeah, I was happy to see uh, Aronson, uh, Robinson, and Leggett come on uh, at after halftime, I think. And a couple minutes after they came on, Robinson leveled the score. So instant, instant results, which was good to see. Uh, and then I think Tyler Adams play, was playing a little bit out of position during the game, and they instantly looked more improved and composed when he moved you know, more centrally in the second half. So it's good to see that Burhalter has the ability to make some of these changes that will result in, you know, improvements during the game. But obviously we'd like to see a better, a better start. But it was great to see that he, he's, he's improving on, you know, his decision-making. Yeah, I think the point you bring up there, Keenan, just in general, it's both about the halftime adjustments that the team made and even the starting lineup changes. You remember Ricardo Pepe getting his World Cup qualifying debut and somebody that they brought into the mix, seeing the young talent there. I think overall, it's just a team that, like you said, Keenan, has a lot of depth and a lot of talent that's worth using because, as we know, the World Cup qualifying cycle is thrown right in the mix of an international season and also a domestic season. So there's a lot going on, I think, to, to kind of compete with. And, you know, if you're the United States, you want to take advantage of the depth that you have. And we saw that in this World Cup qualifying, uh, excuse me, the CONCACAF qualifier here, and we saw it against Honduras. And I think the more that they use that depth, they're going to have a lot more production and get a lot more goals out of it. You saw the four goals in a second half spurt because they've got young players, they've got the agility on the bench, and it's worth using and beating down a team like Honduras that doesn't have the same amount of depth. So I think it was more of an awareness from Burhalter and something that you want to see of this team moving forward because they have the talent, and I think it's just worth using, especially with you know, how tough things are in that World Cup qualifying cycle, and they kind of took advantage of it here in the last game when they needed to win the most. Yeah, and to touch on something Emma brought up is that we saw, you know, Burrowhalter lineup. When I saw the starting lineup, the 3-5-2 that he had proposed, or, you know, what would maybe become a 3-4-3, depending on how much he wanted those wings to drop in and if he was going to bump somebody play alongside Pepe. There was hesitancy in that lineup, as Emma touched on, Tyler Adams playing in center back when he's traditionally a center mid. And, you know, when you have a talent such as Tyler Adams, you know, that you're almost sacrificing so that he can give you more stability in the back. That halftime adjustment to switch to more of a traditional 4-3-3 and, you know, play four across the back and let Tyler Adams kind of have that freedom of mobility through the midfield um, up to the right side. I think, I think that was another testament to Burhalter's adjustments and maybe a couple shortcomings that we saw in the previous World Cup matches that, you know, this United States team, at least in my opinion, in the Canada game, they looked the same in the first minute as they did in the 75th. And that's maybe why, you know, no disrespect to Honduras, but I think we can agree that yeah. in terms of pure roster strength, Canada's a little bit of a better matchup in terms of the United States. Still a game that the United States should win, but definitely something that, you know, the United, that Canada will be able to contend with the United States just purely on physical talent as well as like able to rally as a unit. So Alex, I'm going to come back to you. And, you know, you talked about the depth of that bench. And we see Christian Pulisic leave the match early, getting replaced by Christian Roldan, um, who played a phenomenal job in the midfield coming off the bench. A player, at least in my opinion, that might not be within your World Cup side, but definitely a guy that can produce, still give you quality depth on your bench. But you see Pulisic pick up an ankle injury, leaving the match early in the kind of middle of the second half there. Touching on that depth, we know that, you know, it's, as you said, it's in the middle of domestic season and, you know, some, a lot, almost every one of these guys is playing across seas so that, you know, 
when the MLS ends, they're still playing domestically. Do you think that Burhalter knows which players he's going to be able to get more out of? Maybe the guys that, you know, I guess this World Cup qualifying cycle, you still have everybody playing. But when we move into the later months, you know, the October, the December uh, international breaks, do you think he's still going to rely on those guys from Europe that are playing week in and week out? Or do we think we're going to see more of a mix of like hybridizing, you know, using those players off the bench or, you know, quickly subbing them out just because of the fatigue they experience domestically? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think this game was kind of an indication of that. As you mentioned, it's a little bit different of a competition against Honduras, but at the same time, so you're kind of seeing that you're not going to always be able to rely on those guys like Pulisic, it's like Gio Reyna, like the guys that you really are the familiar faces because, you know, you need to have a full, a full, as we mentioned, a full team of depth in situations like this. And as we go further into the season, as, as qualifying games do get harder, that you're going to see the United States rely on that, that bench a little bit more. And this, like, this game was a good indication of that because Burhalter, as you mentioned, made those mid-game adjustments. And look, if you need a time to find out who your best players are, there's no better place to do it than against a team like Honduras. So that way when you do get later in the stretch and you're playing you know, the Mexicos of the world and the Canadas of the world and those tougher teams, you know what you have a little bit more. And I really think that's why you can't overreact to the early results here for the United States. I think it was a lot of finding out what you have because as we know it is a young team there's a lot of new faces on this team and you know what you're getting from Pulisic you know what you're getting from guys like that but there's going to come a point where you you maybe don't know how healthy they are you don't know what their situation is and you need to have guys behind them that you're comfortable going to and this qualifying cycle I think gave uh, Burhalter one of those opportunities to find those guys and we saw some of them step up in this game like you mentioned the four goals and some really solid production off the bench from a lot of guys and the more you get that the more confident you could be in this team and just having everybody up to the task when the time comes when those guys maybe aren't as productive as you'd expect them to be because of that fatigue, which certainly in the soccer schedule always does come into play down the line. Yeah, whether it's a mental blockade or not, I mean, we can't be inside that dressing room, but I think something that, you know, a lot of American soccer fans wonder is, can those guys who play at such a high level in Europe come across the pond back home and maybe not play at the same level or you know play at the same intensity but a different style of play a style of play that's more americanized in terms of soccer styles so emma let me ask you this we see peppy who i'm just going to call peppy because like pele he's only a one name man maybe like seal too if you're familiar with early late 90s music just like seal peppy two months ago decides because he has dual citizenship he decides he wants to play for the united states he's only 18 years old making becoming the second youngest behind Pulisic to make a World Cup qualifying debut. He was integral to, you know, everything that the United States was doing forward. Eventually scores uh, the go-ahead goal, which later became the game-winning goal, to go up 2-1, and then, you know, two assists on two of the later goals in that game. Emma, when you see a player like Pepe, who's so young, come onto the pitch, making his first start, is there – should we take anything away from this kind of performance, you know, kind of like in baseball when a rookie makes his debut pitchers don't know what to throw at him or can we consistently expect this level of production from Pepe because from what I saw on the field I was certainly a fan and said this guy can play number nine for us or he can go out wide for us any day of the week yeah I think Pepe did everything he needed to do in order to solidify his spot as a starting striker on this team I think it's it's crazy how he's only 18 years old. That's younger than me. And he's, you know, on the US MNT and in the MLS. And I, you know, he scored the winning goal, which is obviously critical for the match. And he showed, you know, good teamwork. He had a lot of assists as well. And I don't think 
this he could he couldn't have gotten off to a better start and I can't wait to see what he does going forward and I hope he you know stays in that position as as a starting striker going forward well something to mention on that front too is we talk a lot about the adjustments the teammates think about the adjustments he made too like you saw even in the first half he was a little bit outmatched by Honduras a little bit and that's why the U.S. didn't really have the goal production but then he made the halftime adjustments up the physicality started playing as you mentioned Emma getting the goals getting the was a bit more of a contributor. So if you could see even an adjustment like that on a half of soccer at the international level, I think I'd feel very confident about his future, Keen. And even, you know, if he's not the everyday striker for the United States, I think you saw something, the potential of that, even at such a young age and in only one game and, and even a half, you saw that, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, we don't want to dramatize how young he is, but, you know, 18 years old and he's already given you this much production through one game. And as Alex, you touched on, that soccer IQ seems to be very high in him understanding of, okay, you know, maybe they're marking my runs in deep. So let me play as almost a false nine, you know, let the game develop in front of me. And then that way I can peel in behind when they start to press a little bit higher on me, but the United States is taking a break from the United, uh, from the world cup qualifying schedule. They're back in action, October 7th um, against Jamaica. And then that qualifying circuit, they pick up Panama and Costa Rica as well. In that World Cup qualifying circuit, play increases heavily. You're playing a Panamanian team that went to the World Cup in 2018, a Jamaican team that consistently gives the United States problems, whether it be in Gold Cup or international friendlies, always close matches there. And then you play Costa Rica, who, as we all know, has really become a CONCACAF titan in the past couple of years. So, Alex, I'm going to come to you first. Is this true, the true litmus test for this United States men's national team, this upcoming qualifying circuit? Because you play El Salvador and Honduras, and yes, you draw to El Salvador, and you beat Honduras, and you draw to Canada, but the Canada match, you know, you're comfortable with the draw. Is this, are these upcoming games really what's going to kind of give us the most insight as to how good this United States team is or how good they can yeah, be? Yeah, no, I think definitely. I think this is one of those in-between cycles that you can almost look past because you think about what's coming up in November and you have obviously Mexico or you're going to circle on your calendar. You have Jamaica that you're playing again in that November cycle. But this is an opportunity, like you mentioned, Keenan, where you can really prove a lot because Panama is certainly not a team that you – that's a road game too that you don't – don't want to overlook because they are a World Cup competitor, like you mentioned. And that's something that the United States, I think they've had a problem in the past of looking over opponents and looking, you know, we've seen them play down to the level of their competition in the past. I think it's been the biggest clutch for this team at certain points is they're always going to be, I think, the more talented team on the field, but it's just a matter of composure that we've seen lacking at times and just a matter of overall just keeping these together when the competition is a little bit different. And I think this match, these three matches, as you mentioned, are going to be an opportunity to really see where the United States stands against some more experienced teams that have the World Cup experience, like you mentioned, that the United States doesn't. And I think you're going to learn a lot about them to see if they're up to that task, because like we said, we've seen them lose composure at times, but you know, you're coming off a win, you have momentum. I think you learned something from this game against Honduras, and a month break is hard to have a, a long-term memory on, but I think if they can use that and carry the momentum into these three games, it uh, could be a successful cycle, but then again, you never know, because this team has, has been a pretty variable at times. So we'll see what happens and it should be fun. Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity for the U.S. to solidify its position as more of a top dog. You know, seven points from Jamaica at home, Panama's away, and then Costa Rica at home, I think should be like the minimum yeah. amount of points obtained. Um, it's a good sign, though. I thought in the Honduras game, you know, without McKenney, Dest, Reyna, and Pulisic, we still came out on top. Uh, so I think that's a good sign. And I think this is a very strong roster overall. 
but you know we're still we're still young we're still a little bit inexperienced and unproven but uh, i think that you know we have a good trajectory going forward definitely a lot of things to look forward to coming up in that next round of world cup qualifying um, just so standings for everyone listening, the United States is currently in a three-way tie for second place in CONCACAF qualification. Mexico leading the way with seven points. Canada, United States, and Panama all tied with five. Costa Rica riding out the top five with two and a tie with Honduras. And then Jamaica stands alone at the bottom with one point, but definitely not a team United States should overlook. Those points aren't very telling of the quality they have and the strength to which Jamaica plays with. So definitely stuff to keep our eyes on moving forward. Hopefully, you know, you get those McKinney, Reyna, Pulisic all back, you know, adding depth to that squad and, ter- and, and especially quality depth that you could see, you know, maybe some of the guys that started this cycle come off the bench and have that impact that we saw in Honduras, or certainly we'd like to hope so. But, but before then, before we can arrive to that, we've got a lot of soccer occurring across Europe. And as I had talked about at the beginning of the show, Cristiano Ronaldo has officially sent Manchester, at least the red side of Manchester, into heaven. <laughs> Returning after 12 odds, 12 years, and I think 165 days. I'm not entirely sure on the days, but definitely, definitely up there in terms of time since he was sold to Real Madrid in 2009, making his debut for the club, starting against Newcastle, scoring a brace in that game. Maybe not the most emphatic Ronaldo goals ever. You know, we expect the bicycle kicks. We expect the knuckleball free kicks. And he gets a, a poacher's goal, but a goal that, you know, you want your number nine to to bury on a rebound given up uh, inside the 18. And then, you know, a good through ball played into him, and he just powers it through the keeper's legs. And then uh, moving into, you know, this upcoming week, even today, he scores a goal against young boys in their Champions League uh, in his Champions League debut with United. So definitely a lot to look forward to. So, Emma, I'm going to start with you. Is is the Ronaldo signing, if you're just a casual soccer fan or, you know, you're not devoutly obsessed with, you know, another top six team, is the Ronaldo signing enough to propel United into, you know, potential treble territory, at least maybe favorites for the Premier League, if not the Champions League? I think it's a little hard to tell right now. I think he's surely, you know, he's going to work well off of the service of people like Bruno Fernandez, Paul Pogba, and Jadon Sancho in in a lot of circumstances. And, you know, Man U's pretty star-studded even without Ronaldo. Like, Sancho was a great signing. Varane was won a World Cup. Pogba is an amazing player, and they still have young studs in. Rashford and Lingard and I think they can be contenders if they keep utilizing you know this young squad and and executing but I don't know if they can do it against teams like Man City and Liverpool or even Chelsea yet I think we're gonna have to see where where all that goes but one thing that I do love about this Ronaldo signing is that he brings like a great leadership quality to the team in general, regardless of how he plays. And I feel like during that match, uh, I don't remember who they played, but Newcastle. yeah, Newcastle, uh, he kind of encouraged, you could see like everyone around him seemed like they wanted to play, they wanted to score, they wanted to feed him balls. And I think 
uh, having them, you know, all together with Ronaldo, that that young squad, and his his Portugal teammate, is is great to see, and it's uh, it'll be great to see what they do going forward. I think you make a great point there because if you look at the semantics of this, do the Manchester United really need Ronaldo? No, I mean he's another striker. They have a number of strikers. They don't exactly need another one. They don't need a goal scorer per se. But to say that would just be silly because, like you mentioned, Emma, you just saw the impact that he had in that game for this team. I mean, you mentioned the 12 years, Keen, and it felt like he had never left. I mean, he came back. You have a full state. I've never seen Old Trafford that big, that, that packed in years. I mean, you saw the energy that you brought to the team, as you mentioned, Emma, where he was jumping down in front of goal every time he had a chance. Like, you could just see there was an energy about him, almost like he was a kid again that you haven't seen in a really long time. And that's something Manchester United really needed, I think, because we know they're a talented team, but they've always – there's always been this stigma about them, I think, in recent years where they haven't been able to jump over that hump. And I think Ronaldo can be the guy to get you there because we saw the talent. We saw the breakaway speed. As you mentioned, Keenan, the goals were not the prettiest, but still, it just shows you he's in the right place, the right time, has the speed that he's always had. And I think he just raises the game of everybody around him, which I think is what you really need from a guy like Ronaldo as a leader off the field and on it as well. You saw guys like Bruno Fernandez bringing a different energy. You saw, you know, I think a lot of things from Manchester United that really has to give you confidence in them moving forward, just in the environment in the stadium. And of course, what you're getting from Ronaldo on the field as well, just one of the all-time greats. And he still has it even 12 years later. It really is absolutely remarkable. As a Liverpool supporter myself, I can't say that I was enthused with the signing. Just, you know, the years <laughs> of bad blood you know, bringing him back, the troubles he gave us, and then, you know, moving to Real, at least a lot of Liverpool fans, myself, I was not entertaining soccer at the age of eight yet, but we're very, very happy to see him leave. But I think something, Emma, you touched on brilliantly, and Alex, you echoed it well, is that since probably Ronaldo, since the Alex Ferguson era, which ended quite some time ago now, um, over 10 years ago, I think there has been an identity crisis within the United locker room, starting with Louis van Hall taking over. And maybe you can make the case that when Rooney was still there, they still had a true United leader in that locker room. But especially after Rooney's left, you've seen the armband on Luke Shaw. You've seen it on Maguire. You've seen it on De Gea. You've seen it on Pogba at times. Not taking anything away from those players, they're all very talented, and there's a reason why they're getting bought for millions upon millions of dollars and being asked to compete at the high level for United, which is a very history club. But you'd always see that, much like Arsenal, they didn't have a leader on that team that after giving up a cheap goal or you know not performing well in the first half, that would be a Paul Scholes, that would go into the locker, be a Gary Neville, and just absolutely demand the most out of their teammates the way that you you'd hope Ronaldo would and you know scrolling through social media I already see we you know if you're looking for it you're going to find stories and came out of the United camp that yesterday prior to their match against young boys today you know normally you end dinner with a dessert an apple fritter or something everybody's eyes are on Ronaldo's plate what's he doing he's having another serving of meat and avocado so and no one gets a dessert so it's that kind of leadership that I think this young United team needs. Not that, you know, the guys on the team weren't capable of that, but I think every great team across all sports has a guy that is willing to sacrifice, you know, his self and maybe even his image to his teammates in order to demand the best out of them. So now, after what has been a very impressive debut for Ronaldo, 
I think there's, as Emma, you touched upon, there's a lot of questions about this United side in terms of how they're actually going to play against big six contenders. Because, yes, the win against Newcastle was impressive. And, yes, we see that immediate Ronaldo impact. But that was a game, at least in my viewing, that, you know, we, we, Ronaldo was what we expected him to be. We expected him to make runs in behind, ball at the feet, you know, fancy footwork. And then, you know, when he can poach, he's going to poach and produce. So moving forward, I think that there's not – I haven't seen anything yet from United. Maybe this is the Liverpool skepticism in me. That would suggest that they're leaps and bounds above City, above Liverpool, even Chelsea. Pick, pick your team. I think that a lot of this United team is still trying to figure out their identity and that, you know, maybe adding Ronaldo adds to that identity and helps these guys understand where they fit within the squad. But when we're talking about roster rotations with the United States men's national team, Alex, I got to ask you, is how Solskjaer going to manage Ronaldo in terms of his, you know, productivity and how much he can push him? Because, yes, he still is a freak athlete, still has the 12-pack abs, still, you know, takes he's like Brady, takes care of himself, can, you know, compete every day. Do you expect Ollie to, you know, let him go as much as he wants to go while he still has a very deep and healthy bench because Ronaldo could be taken out for a Lingard, for a Martial, for a Rashford, and for any match really, and then you could introduce him off the bench. So I guess my growing skepticism with the Ronaldo signing is, as you mentioned, they have a, they have a healthy amount of forwards going forward, you know, that want to score goals and that can produce. Even a Mason Greenwood who two years ago was this wonder kid and now is kind of taking a backseat to Sancho kind of could take a backseat to Ronaldo. So Alex, I'm just wondering how is Ollie going to balance his, the, the use of Ronaldo just because, you know, you know what you get when he's on the field, but you also have to be mindful of his age as he begins to, you know, play week in and week out for this United side. Well, it's a good question because here's my question. Will Ronaldo be happy on the bench? Obviously not. I don't – he does not strike me. I, I could be wrong about this. But he does not strike me as somebody that's going to sit on the bench and come in in the 50th minute and be an impact type of player. He strikes me as somebody who's going to be there from the get-go and want to be there from the get-go. I think – I don't really see him, uh, you know, compromising on that a lot. And, and when you look at, you know, the rest of this Man United uh, forwards, as you mentioned, you have guys like Rashford and Greenwood and Sancho who you just brought in that are all equally, not equally as talented, but can bring a lot to the table at a young age, as you mentioned. And you might argue that playing Ronaldo at a significant clip kind of risks the development of guys like Rashford and like Greenwood, who you mentioned was a wonder kid a couple of years ago, fading into the background a little bit. And, you know, I don't know, though. I think it's a, tr- it's a tricky question because it, it depends on Man United's goals. Are, are they in a win-now position, I think, is really the question. And I, as you mentioned, Keenan, I don't know what the answer to that is right now because am I ready to say that they're top of the table in the Premier League? No. Am I ready to say that they're going to win the Champions League? No. So if I'm not ready to say those two things, you have Ronaldo here for a pretty short amount of time, I'm going to guess. I mean, his career cannot last forever. And if you're going to play him in these minutes, risk the development of those younger guys, you need to get results out of it. And I'm not sure if Man United is 100% there yet. But look, you got to put all your chips to the table. I think Ronaldo gives you a pretty darn good chance. And you're going to have to play him and see what happens with it. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they get those young guys in the mix. And maybe, you know, Ole, as you mentioned, tries different lineups, finds something that works like we saw with the U.S. men's national team. Maybe he's going to go into that bench wait till he finds the right combination and stick with it. But it's definitely going to take some time and interested to see the decisions over time that he makes. Yeah, one thing I noted in the game against Newcastle is that Manu didn't even get really a good look at Newcastle's goal in the first half. And you know, Newcastle played all right. They defended well, and they actually had some good counterattack opportunities. But I think 
uh, when I was researching, uh, what a lot of people said is that Manu still has big weaknesses in their defensive yeah. field, regardless of you know whether they have Ronaldo or not. Better teams than Newcastle with their you know first choice striker. I think Callum Wilson was out. They're gonna they're gonna punish that. And I think Pogba did a lot more attacking than defending. And I think Manu's definitely in the conversation now for being at the top of the Premier League and whatnot. But I, you know, I expect them to still be in the conversation, perhaps going forward and like in late April and May. And hopefully they're still battling it out with City, Liverpool, Chelsea. And I don't think a lot of people would have said that before. Uh, but I, I think we still got to see more. And, you know, they still have weaknesses in, in their defensive midfield. Yeah, and I think, you know, that might be Ronaldo's biggest adjustment coming back to England. Not to take anything, of, you know, away from Liga Santander or uh, Syria, but seemingly in those leagues, the bad teams were not and mm-hmm. normally not in position to contend in matches, as we saw in Newcastle. You know, Ben not break mentality in the first half against United. Ronaldo, every time he takes the field, and the game has improved greatly since he was last at United in terms of bottom table teams or, you know, smaller clubs being able to hang with the bigger guys. We see, you know, upsets weekly or close matches weekly that, you know, you have to kind of lend an eye to and say, like, since when is, I'll use Alex's Wolver, since when is Wolverhampton, you know, tied 2-2 with Liverpool in the 70th minute. Yeah. It's it's one of those, you know, like, okay, like, these guys can play. So, I think, to Emma, your point, that's going to be, like, the biggest eye-opening test to Ronaldo coming back to England is that he's not going to be able to skate through match weeks that maybe he would have been able to do in the other countries in which he's played. And with those defensive questions, you know, in mind, you know, United has not had a competent defensive midfield or competent back line for quite some time now. I th- I think that the question still is then, and I know I just phrased it, but let me reiterate it or rephrase it. Is Ronaldo enough? I think we all kind of agreed that, you know, we haven't seen enough, but say Ronaldo is giving you the production he gave you at Juventus or maybe, you know, Real Madrid, you know, maybe not his best when he was like 27, but when he was, you know, in his thirties, if he gives you his best, is this team still a question mark because of the defensive insecurities or are they able, or do you think that, you know, the Ronaldo factor, say it spreads like wildfire through the crap, through the camp, Harry Maguire decides to play like Harry Maguire of old and, you know, not give up handballs seemingly every other game inside his own 18. Is the Ronaldo effect going to be enough to propel this team forward, or do you expect United to do something at, in the winter market and you know go out and get a defender, get a more more established CDM, just because Nemanja Matic isn't it, and you know Fred isn't it for this team? Yeah, I think it's a good question because if you look at the other teams, we've talked about the top of the table. So if we expand to that a little bit, if you look at a team like Manchester City, we knew about their defensive lapses in the past. What do they do? Invested in it. Now you saw you know the remnants of that, and you've seen the same thing with a team like Liverpool. Was a very stout back line. And even Chelsea, I think, gives some talented wingbacks as well. So you look at those teams, and you're pretty confident what you're working with with the back line. Whereas Man United, like you said, kind of, it's even a question every day. Now, one thing I will say about Man United that gives me a little more confidence is David De Gea is on the top of his game right now. I think that is the one thing that I always believe is that when your goalkeeper is playing at his best, which he is right now, I think that's going to carry you forward just a little bit. We've seen inconsistencies from him as well. But I think, you know, the question really, Manchester United, obviously, adds Ronaldo. 
If you look at the rest of the table, they're all adding players as well. Chelsea has Lukaku now. You think Man City adding Jack Grealish, one of my favorite players. I have to mention him. And you just talk about some of the additions that these other teams are making. That, that gap kind of closes from what Ronaldo gives Manchester United. And you combine that with the inconsistencies on the back line. Some questions. But at the same time, top of the table right now, I think you're getting a look here very early in the season. You're getting a look at the five to seven teams that are going to be in the mix and we're going to see a lot of exciting head-to-head matches between those two teams. And that's where I think we're going to learn a lot. So Manchester United goes against those big dogs that have an offense that can expose that defense. Newcastle, as you mentioned, Emma, they can't do that. But these other teams can. And that's going to be a real litmus test for Man United. Number one, can they get the stops when they need to? And number two, can they score enough goals to keep up with them? Because that's the part I'm confident in. But if you fall into too big of a deficit, the number of goals you score doesn't really matter. Yeah, and, you know, I think... To close, you see United's schedule kind of being graced, at least domestically. They play West Ham, who last year was solid, but, you know, one of those teams that can shake things up, but you like United in that game. Then you've got Aston Villa, and then you've got Everton. And then you finally start to see teams that can contend. You pick up Leicester. Next week, Mm -hmm. you get Liverpool. Then next Mm -hmm. week, you get Spurs. And then you get City. And then you get Mm -hmm. Watford, which is – Watford and then you get Chelsea and then you get Arsenal so definitely it seems like Ronaldo's gonna enjoy a little domestic honeymoon period definitely hope to see him get on the score sheet um Premier League morning um fantastic morning watch on a Saturday or Sunday if you're willing to get up early and watch and suffer as I suffer um Ronaldo's second in terms of odds to win golden boot for the Premier League so immediately they're hoping that he can get on the score sheet and hopefully he does, um, especially in this grace period. And hopefully, you know, as we talked about, Ole can kind of find a rhythm playing these lesser established sides so that when he goes through that gauntlet of Chelsea, you know, Arsenal, Liverpool, City, he has a consistent game plan moving forward. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Appreciate you sticking with us. Huge reasons to be happy this time. Oftentimes, especially when I talk United States men's national team soccer, tends to be bleak and it tends to, you know, sound like a cry for help, especially when I'm ranting about Greg Berhalter's inconsistency in tactics, but a good win against Honduras. Let's hope we can keep it going in October. And a lot of United focus today. I know if you're, if you're a Liverpool fan, if you're a city fan, you probably don't want to hear it, but when you make a splash like Ronaldo and he makes an immediate impact, you, you have to be a fan. And if you're not a fan, then you don't love soccer. So for Alex Wolves and Emma Zupko, I'm Keenan Troy. We'll catch you next week. Keep on enjoying Champions League tonight and tomorrow. We hope to see you guys soon.